I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to the 50th episode of Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk about 2020, all of its, uh, let's say, not blessings, and what we're looking forward into this next year of 2021. And then later on the pod, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Ralph West, pastor at the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas. Dr. West recently announced his departure from the Southern Baptist Convention due to the fact that the Southern Baptist Six White Male Seminary presidents declared that critical race theory was inconsistent with the Baptist faith and message. And it is an excellent interview. Dr. West spreads a lot of wisdom. So stay tuned for the interview. Autumn, it's almost over. 2020 is about finished. How are you doing? I am really looking forward to 2021. <laughs> like almost everyone. Now I keep hearing people say nothing magical is going to happen at midnight on, you know, December 31st, um, that we can't expect, you know, pixie dust or anything like that. But I think there is just sort of a mental reset that happens on January 1, a fresh start, a vaccine that's trickling through our networks and, you know, just some hope on the horizon. Yeah, I agree. I mean, these these important moments, uh, the turn of the calendar, whether it's a, a year or a month or a birthday or an anniversary, there's just something, some, there's something special about that moment that just kind of, like you said, resets everything. So yes, I agree. I'm looking forward to uh, the beginning of 2021. But before we get to the new year, let's talk about 2020. It has been a long, treacherous year uh, filled with heartache, um, uh, pandemic, social revolution, presidential election. What for you stands out this year uh, more than anything? So I feel like there's really just been a spotlight on the seedy underbelly that's been there all along. Mm. But I think um, I think a lot of the bugs have scurried out from under the rocks and there's been a line drawn for folks like you and me who feel our faith very deeply um, and have some sometimes been, as Babs said, too damn nice mm-hmm, right. about our um our ethics and what we feel about those things. And so I think when I look back, you know, someday when I'm like the old lady on the Titanic, um, <laughs> looking back at my life, I think 2020, even, even the pandemic, I think will fade into the background when I start thinking about the, um, the racial injustice that has really just come to light this year. Yeah. You know, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, this seemed to be a watershed moment uh, for, for many of us. <laughs> Um, you know, talking to some of our African-American colleagues, you know, it is interesting that 2020, while we have seen so many injustices, especially with police brutality, what our African-American colleagues tell us is that it's always been there. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden in 2020, the scales fell off some of you white folks' eyes, and you were finally able to see it for what it truly was an ingrained systemic racism that has been there since the beginning of this country and continues to escalate uh, into every fabric of our society. And I, you know, I, I guilty, I mean, absolutely guilty. Um, you know, we, we have talked about it. We have studied it. We have denounced it over a period of time. But my hope and my prayer is that 
the deaths of Breonna Taylor, of George Floyd, of Ahmaud Aubrey, of, I mean, the list can go on. I mean, unfortunately, we can name names all day long. Mm-hmm. that their deaths will not go in vain, and that this is the moment in American history where uh, a, a hinge can begin to swing towards equality. And that, as Dr. King said, that that moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. Well, I hope that 2020 it bends in a 90-degree angle because mm-hmm. the time has come for us to reconcile who we are as a country, repent of that, and seek reparations for all that's taken place over the 400 years, and that's including 200 years being a country, as well as previously that what we have done to African American and Indigenous people, as well as as Brown people. So, yes, I absolutely right. Uh, you're 100% right. This is a watershed moment, and even in the pandemic, we saw the racial disparities, uh, and still do today. I mean. Uh, the death rates uh, for African Americans versus white Americans is disproportionate. This is certainly taking its toll on the African American p- community, the brown community, Hispanic, Lat- uh, Latinx communities, uh, much more so than white suburbia. And so uh, we continue to see that in the economic downturn as well due to the pandemic. So, so yeah, and, you know, a lot of this uh, is laid blame at the feet of one person, and that person is uh, President Donald Trump. Now, I will say this. I don't think it's entirely his fault. He just gave credence to everybody out there who thought and believed and acted in this way and really emboldened them and empowered them to bring their racism up front and center for everybody to uh, to see. And so uh, it's it's been a difficult four years, but, uh, you know, we're within 30 days of uh, President Trump uh, leaving Being office, maybe, <laughs> maybe leaving office. <laughs> um, One uh, way or another. <laughs> well, I can just I can just see inaugura- I can just see inauguration morning. Uh, everybody getting up and Melania getting up in the White House. And it's this beautiful uh, winter day, high sky in our nation's capital. And they begin to look around. Has anybody seen the president? Has anybody seen the president? And I bet he hides from everybody. I think he's going <laughs> to find a, a remote closet somewhere in the White well, House. A and, lot of girth to hide, It's going to take all day to find that guy. <laughs> are you looking forward to in 2021? You know, we've lost a lot in 2020. And, you know, personally, I lost my grandfather due to COVID-19. But I look at my boys and see what they have lost. Both of them were in college uh, when 2020 began, my oldest uh, senior in college and my youngest a freshman in college. And to see the disruption in their young lives when they should be living it up. I mean, this, I mean, so exciting. A lot of, a lot of frightening things happening when you're that young, but also a lot of exciting things happening as well. And, and to see the disruption in their lives, uh, my oldest son not being able to walk for graduation, uh, my youngest son uh, in the middle of uh, his first year having to come home and study remotely. You know, it just it really did break my heart to, to mm-hmm. see what they went through. Now, obviously, and, and I, I need to say this up front, what they have gone through is nothing compared to what other people have gone through uh, with this pandemic and economic crisis. But 
as a dad, it still hurts, and, and, sure. I, and I grieve for them. So 2021, my hope is that they can begin their life. You know, I, I heard something the other day that I thought was really important. We keep talking about trying to get back to normal. I don't want to get back to normal. Nope. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, let's make America great again. I don't know. I, I never knew what that mean. Well, I knew what it meant. It meant a return to the 1950s, which was not great for everybody. Well, you know, I, I, what can we learn from this dark moment in our history to set a tone in 2021 to become not only a better country, a better church, but also just a better people? Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to see what my boys are going to be able to do uh, once all this is lifted, once they can get back into their studies, my oldest into the job market. I think their generation in particular is filled with hope and change, and I'm really excited to see what they can do when they get to restart their lives. And not a return to normal, but no. a, 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 a seeking of something different and transformation for the future. So that's what I'm excited about in 2021, see what the boys are going to do. Yeah. And then, of course, what, of course, what's going to happen at Good Faith Media, Autumn? I mean, we've got so many things on the docket. Uh, we've only, we launched in July of 2020. So, you know, 2020 wasn't all that bad no. <laughs> for us. We launched in 2020 and uh, have uh, had a lot of great uh, events and programs and publications and articles. Uh, we've got such a great community. Our authors, our writers, our staff here at Good Faith Media our colleagues across the world, uh, we can only do what we do because of their wisdom, their uh, commitment, their loyalty to justice and the gospel, and their generosity uh, in yeah. time and resources. I mean, it just really is absolutely remarkable. And 2021 is going to be an even bigger and better year for us. We're really excited about it. It is. And I just want to speak on behalf of the staff. Um, we're all just trying to keep up with you. Uh, we have sort of a little coffee drinking game during staff call. Every time Mitch has a new project idea, we all take a sip. Um, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what's on my coffee cup sometimes, um, but it's so exciting. We have found some really innovative ways um, to amplify voices of folks who don't typically have their voice heard. And be able to use the talents and the gifts that, you know, God's kind of rolled up into this good faith media package um, to help people really professionalize their message, to get it out there. And, um, you know, I feel like just for me personally, I have to say that I see a lot of, you know, slams on Facebook and Instagram that says like, oh yeah, you know, thanks for reposting, um, uh, uh, you know, a post by someone who's black or by someone who's native, but what are you actually doing? And I can go to sleep every night feeling like we actually are, we are amplifying voices. We are, we are not like we're helping like in a savior kind of way, but like we're banding together and we're including these folks. And it just feels, um, it feels right. It feels like a little bit of church when I go to work every day. I love that. I love that saying. Well, I didn't know about the drinking game, Autumn. So, uh, you know, happy to know. I'm not a little, I'm not offended at all. Your wife started it. Well, that's true. You know, when I turned 50, I was given a saying, either get busy living or get busy dying. And uh, so I've decided, you know, let's live. Let's live it out. And so. And you took us all with you. I did. I forgot to tell everybody. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to 2021. Um, like I said, a lot of great projects uh, that you're going to be hearing about in the next few weeks uh, that are really exciting for us. 
Well, next is our interview with Dr. Ralph West from the Church Without Walls. Dr. West, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, made an announcement last week that he is leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. He was actually enrolled at Southwestern Seminary in their Ph.D. program and, uh, and left that program due to the fact that the six Southern Baptist Convention Seminary presidents, who are all white, made a joint declaration that critical race theory is, and I put this in quotes, inconsistent with the gospel. And Dr. West and some of his colleagues have just absolutely had it with them. And, you know, it, what, it, parallels, it parallels with what's going on in Georgia right now, Autumn, uh, mm-hmm. with Dr. Uh, Reverend Ralph Warnock uh, from uh, Atlanta, who's running for Senate. Uh, they're calling him a Marxist. They're calling him a socialist. He's nothing of any of those sorts. Uh, he's just a man of faith, uh, terrific uh, pulpiteer, preacher. Uh, but yeah, he stands for social justice and believes in equality. And it's just sad that uh, we're still, at the end of this year, battling this kind of racism that uh, emerges even within the church and people of faith. So stay tuned for our interview with Dr. Ralph West. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us all the way from Houston, Texas, Dr. Ralph West. Dr. West serves as founder and senior pastor of the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas. The church began with 32 members and now embraces 24,000-plus families meeting in three locations and conducting six services each Sunday. Dr. West has degrees from Bishop College, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Beeson Divinity School, where he received the Doctorate of Ministry degree. He serves as adjunct professor of preaching at the George W. Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor University. His abiding commitment to the church and the academy relating with equal ease to both venues and using his influence to mentor ministers in both locations. Dr. West made news earlier this month announcing his departure from the Southern Baptist Convention after the denomination's six white male seminary presidents declared critical race theory to be inconsistent with the Baptist faith in Message 2000. Dr. West, thank you so much for being our guest this week on Good Faith Weekly. Thank you, Mitch. Good to see you again and uh, look forward to our conversation. We always have a good time and a robust conversation talking about things that matter. So thank you for the invitation. Well, we're glad that you're here with us today. Before we jump into the interview uh, and, and talk about the, the issue at stake, uh, just in this uh, age of pandemic, uh, are, are you feeling okay? You and your family uh, are well? Has anybody contracted the virus? If so, we certainly want to be praying for you. Our immediate family and extended family has been COVID-free since uh, the announcement of it. And, uh, to, to God be the glory for that. So we're sheltering in place, respecting the leadership of the epidemiologists, uh, the CDC, as well as the World Health Organization and uh, asking our church uh, not to make a division between science and faith, that the two work hand in hand together. Uh, God has given us these wonderful people and have uh, used their gifts. And we see that now with a vaccine that's been produced. And so if we can be patient, stay sheltered in place, social distance, then we'll see the mitigation of this virus and we'll be ready to go back and return to some normalcy. So, Thank you for asking, and uh, thanks for allowing me to say something about that. Keep the faith 
everybody that's listening, keep faith and let's continue uh, to do our part while God is already doing his part. I love that last part. Well, I'm so glad to hear that your family is well, and thank you for your leadership uh, in this this pandemic. Uh, people like you and, and leaders like you is exactly what we need to combat this thing and, and get back to normalcy. So thank you, Dr. West. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the interview and talk about the topic at hand. But before we get into the reason behind your decision to leave the Southern Baptist Convention, um, just for our listeners' sake, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention up to this point? Yes, and thank you for asking that question, because uh, it's always interesting to hear other people answer my question and they've never <laughs> heard me respond to it. Right. I'm not a newcomer to SBC. My first job with SBC was my senior year in college in 1980. Uh, I joined the staff of Fruitdale Baptist Church under Dr. Joe Howard, who taught sociology at Bishop College in Dallas, Texas. He saw something in me, invited me to join his team of a church that was in South Oak Cliff off of uh, Luke 12 in Ann Arbor, and it was during a transition. It was a transition. And so uh, Dr. Howard was Anglo-American. He invited a young African-American to come sit next to him. And we had a good time working together that year. So from 1980 to now, 40 years, I've had some affiliation with the uh, Southern Baptists. Uh, my real strength with SBC is in our local group, the Union Baptist Association, mm -hmm. and a strong part of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. I've worked uh, on the sidelines, I would say, with the um, National African American Fellowship. And uh, and that's about the extent of it. I mean, I'm pretty involved in it. I'm a Southwestern a graduate. I was there during the, the great days when Dr. Russell Dilday was there. And uh, that was a, a really great time in the life of uh, Southern Baptists. Uh, this is a time before these um, big transformations took place, before the kind of conservative transformation of the convention. And so yeah. that's my time when I was there. And so, uh, um, so needless to say, I mean, you're not an outlier. I mean, uh, you've been uh, very involved with the Southern Baptist Convention for years. Uh, you've maintained a, a, a working relationship with them. Uh, they know you, you know them. And so it was very striking this week um, that um, all six Southern Baptist seminary presidents from the Southern Baptist Convention issued a statement claiming that critical race theory was inconsistent with their faith statement, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. But before we get into their statement, Dr. West, some of our readers may not be familiar with the uh the academic understanding or definition of critical race theory. Could you just walk us through that briefly before we launch into what the, uh, the seminary president said about it? Well, well let, me, let me begin by saying uh, that I'm not a critical race theorist. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a pastor. I speak as a pastor. Right. Uh, and I preach as a pastor. And now with that said, as far as I understand CRT, I, I don't think it's monolithic. It's part of a discourse that integrates the dynamics of power structure in this country that are based on race and racism. 
that seeks to argue, and I think this is true regardless of where a person stands on the CRT discourse, that racism is embedded in the structures of this country. And this is important. It's not always obvious because sometimes it's hidden. It takes careful analysis to discover and be overcome. So there are other tenets that are more technical, but I'll choose not to speak on those. I'll speak out to the one crucial aspect that stands out in this discussion that's taking place among the SBC and the presidents of the seminaries and other people. And that is racism is real and is both visible and hidden in the structures of this country. Legally, educationally, economically, and even religiously. And that's kind of the heart of what CRT is. Yeah. And like you said, and you've been very open about, uh, I think in one of the interviews that I saw you conducted with another uh, uh, journalism company was um, that you weren't, you've never given a full throated endorsement of CRT. Uh, but the, 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 the general understanding of it certainly speaks to the real uh, presence of overt and systemic racism in this country and the need for not only reformation but or reform, but transformation of those systems uh, to perpetuate uh, equality. Uh, within the country. And so, uh, so I wanted to make certain that we were clear on that, that you're not a, a CRT apologist by any means, uh, but there are some tenets uh, regarding it that are very important to this conversation. So that brings us to what the SBC presidents uh, wrote in their statement. And I quote, we stand together on historic Southern Baptist condemnation of racism in any form. And we also declare that affirmation of the critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message. Now, Dr. West, has anyone from the SBC contacted you to, 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 to define what they meant with incompatible, why they chose that kind of language? No, uh, no nobody called. Apparently, they met and made a decision. <clears throat> uh, the most that we receive is the charge that CRT is related to. This is a term that I don't know what it really means, cultural Marxism. Mm. Uh, this label has been placed on everything that the social Baptist, that the, the, this label has been placed on everything uh, almost that Southern Baptists reject. It's their social critique. In fact, um, I was... <laughs> I was referred to as a Marxist. So I'm not sure what the uh, phrase cultural Marxist refers to. I know Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was for, referred to as a communist and a Marxist. Uh, and this was mostly to delegitimize the civil rights movement. Um, I, I, here's my warning uh, to brothers and sisters about using phrases like this because it's, it's a strong connection to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and alt-right and other white nationalist groups. But they toss it around with ease, you know. You, you are cultural Marxist, name-calling. 
So my biggest concern is not so much about the compatibility with the BFM or the Baptist Faith and Message, but the implications that using CRT somehow puts you at variance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, this is a salvific area uh, issue. It's a soteriological issue. And this is why I completely and wholeheartedly object to that statement, you know, is that 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 the top of the list with our Lord, I mean, this is a this is a big issue now. It's yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I just I find it perplexing that no one has reached out to you uh even before the statement was issued, uh, and then certainly after your announcement. Uh, you know, if I was in a place of leadership and made, you know, what, you know, is, is either a faux pas or a serious mistake uh, in regarding this, then, um, then I just, I just can't imagine, I just can't believe that they did not reach out to you and talk to you about this. But it kind of seems to be what leaders in their particular position do at times. They issue these statements and use this kind of language without getting any kind of input from uh, people of color, whether that is black or brown. Um, and it just, it just, it just baffles me. So at any rate, um, you had an interview with Baptist News Global recently, and in that interview you stated, my dear brothers, bias is apparent to all of us. Instead of reaching out to fellow brothers and sisters, you have lived with the reality of racism in formulating their view- views. These six men took it upon themselves to dictate how we should think about racism. When you read that statement uh, that they wrote and they issued, how did that how did that not only make you feel as a, a black leader in the Baptist church, but, you know, I, I was a pastor for 20-something years as well. You know, I, you and I, we, we can take the shots. We can take the criticism. We can take issue, or we can take statements like this. But when our church members read things like this, that's what really, really hurts as shepherd of, of the flock. So how did your church react when they read or read statements like this that are issued by the SBC presidents? Well, initially, my response is uh, I was despondent. I was angry. Uh, yeah, I imagine. I was uh, righteously indignant and a couple other things, you know, when you hear this because you, you don't really believe that people who have been put in charge and the responsibility of the educational and theological education of, of men and women would be so reckless in making a decision like this. Um, not to invite anybody, anybody, African-American or Latina or the invite, or woman to come in and sit down, uh, or I forgot, well, not to have a woman involved in it to sit down right. and say, what do you think about this? You know, sure. whatever your position might be, you know, invite your mama or your wife in there <laughs> and say, how would you view this? Exactly. And I'm not sure people would have said simply, I think that you need to be careful of not just the tenor of what you say, but the tone of what you're saying. Mm. And then finally, the timing of what you're saying. I mean, you sit down and say, wait, we're, we're in Kentucky. We're still dealing with the, with the Breonna Taylor case. Right. Names that nobody seemed to mention. But when you reject CRT in every form, 
you don't see it because you don't see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the problem when they say color blindness. You know, right. you, you don't see it. So anyway, I was angry, and um, because the people that make the decision, they never experienced racism. Right. They don't have a clue of what racism is. And so when you say, "Oh, black people are just overly sensitive," and uh, you know, it's an individual experience, and you know, things happen. They, they don't have a clue of what, what that really meant. Yeah. So I was angry because they did this without meaningful regard for how black people, brown people, and women and other groups who've been oppressed would have felt about their statement. Yeah. And the one thing those of us who preach and teach know, words matter. Mm. So I was hurt, angry, sad, because I was reminded on many levels of the many years that black men and women and brown men and women and women, their voices didn't matter. So my perception was that I don't matter. What I think doesn't matter. All that matters is that these six white men were speaking for a dominant culture to say, think like we think, Act like we act and do what we say do. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying this is what you saw to be. So my church, how did they feel about it? We've always maintained strong Afrocentric ties in other areas, so it didn't surprise them at all. Right. They were at least delighted to say thank you for opening your voice, not for us so much, but speaking for other young men and young women whose voices had not been heard, you know. And, and needed to be heard. And so that, that was my role as, as a prophet, really just to be a truth bearer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to start anything other than saying, this is not right, this is unjust. Sure. And, uh, and for those of us who have been entrusted with truth, we have to be careful how we communicate that truth. You yeah. know? Even when truth challenges us on positions that we hold. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's when you know people come with preconceptions of saying, that I'm not, I'm, I'm not moving one bit, that there's no truth claims to these theories, and so we, we don't have to pay attention to them. Yeah. Well said, very well said. Now, Dr. West, some of your fellow Baptists are surprised that African Americans, Native Americans, and Latinx Baptists even remain associated with a denomination that has consistently perpetuated a what some have defined as a white supremacist theology and practice. Maya Angelou once said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. How do some of your brothers and sisters of color that are still holding on to the relationship with the SBC, how can they reconcile that relationship based upon the SBC's not only uh, history, but their current state of communication, as we have seen in this last month? How they reconcile that and what about this moment was different for you than some other moments? Um, that, that's a great question. And um, the first thing that I would say is that be clear that the Southern Baptist Convention today is not the Southern Baptist Convention that it was 40 years ago. Right. Um, the seminaries today are not the same seminaries that they were. 40 years ago. When I was a student, 
um, at Southwestern, you had Russell Dale there, a top-tier New Testament scholar. You had Bert Dominic over systematic theology. You had Leo Garrett. You had uh, the Baptist historian Leon Macbeth. And then you had the homiletician Al Faisal, men who became dear friends to me postgraduate work. And then you had Curtis Freeman, who's at Duke Divinity now, and uh, Keith Putt, uh, Harry Hunt, Tom Lave, Wordus Gideon. And these guys, many of them were moderate. This is the day where Southern Baptists had moderates. Uh, the moderates had a voice. This is long before you have this, this kind of fighting to say we want to take in, quote, the convention back. So um, that would be my first thing is to say the convention that you talk about today is completely different from the convention that it was 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, even in the point of race, they used to, I don't know if they still have it now, on the second weekend in February, they used to have in the SBC Life Race Relation Day. And that's where the different preachers would swap pulpits and African-Americans would preach in a Anglo-American church and vice versa. And, and it built up real relationship and camaraderie. And so it's, it's a whole different world now. So um, with that said, my church is a supporter of major conventions. Uh, we're kind of an anomaly, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, among the major white conventions, you know, we, we didn't just support uh, SBC. We supported uh, <laughs> the CBF, which is... Uh, significantly at odds with the SBC. And then we supported the NBC, USA Incorporated, the PNBC. And so, uh, and we supported uh, uh, the, uh, the Southern Baptists. One of the uniqueness of the African-American church is that we're not constrained to belong to any one anything. Uh, I feel like I led my church that if we see a truth, we stand for that truth. There you go. But what is happening now when we look at the SBC, this this is a whole different this a whole different group. The language is different, the ideology is different. I mean, uh, it, man, if it's anything, I, I've never used this word public. Uh, public. I'm very careful about naming things. Uh, it, it has really become very white. I'll say that. I mm. mean, very white. Right, And I don't just mean in terms of uh, ethnicity. Now, I'm not talking about that now. I'm, I'm talking about in this politics, this ideology. Man, it's, it's scary, you know, I mean, when you hear it. So so I'm concerned about what I perceive a, a Christian nationalist le uh, leanings in modern white Christian America. People are conflating Christianity with, uh, you know, with America. And many have declared, even Donald Trump, as the Lord's anointed, uh, his Messiah, you know, that they're worshiping at the altar of Trumpism, all that kind of stuff, that he's the Lord's chosen. This is strange language. This is Messianic right. language that we're giving to a human being, you know. Uh, somebody who says, uh, you know, when you ask about, do you pray for forgiveness? No, I don't need that. I just try to do good the next time. All of the things that they would criticize uh, about somebody else. So there are some elements of this that we see in SBC. Yeah. Uh, and they're not doing a good enough job of speaking out uh, to the rise of racism in this country. 
And that was that, that goes to my yeah, and that which, goes to my next question, Doctor West, is that you know, and, and I'm guilty of this as well. Sometimes we're so quick to offer a, a word of criticism, and rightly yeah. so in these yeah. cases. But what 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 do we hope that leaders in the SBC would not only learn but do to address systemic racism in this country? What could I mean? What could the SBC do to? I mean, they could make a huge difference in the stance against systemic racism and to bring true equality to help bring true equality to this country. What What are some of the things that they could do to yeah. wield that power? That that's a, that that is the quintessential question. The first thing that they could do is is tell the truth. Mm. They just tell the truth. Um, they they they. You can say truth and not tell the truth. Racism is not just prejudice. Racism is racism. It's not just individual, it's institution. Mm. That's one thing, tell the truth. Another thing, they could inform themselves. I mean, they could read to inform themselves. They could read Isabel Wilkerson's book that she just did on caste, the origin of the uh, uh, discontent. Read some bell hooks. You could you could sit down, read uh, some James Baldwin. Just read. I think one thing that happens in these communities, uh, like the six that gather, is that they dismiss anything that challenges their religious and cultural sensibilities of being antithetical is demonic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, they're big on name calling. So one thing they could do is tell the truth. They could read some truth. A third thing they could do is just involve themselves in some serious, robust conversations with people. You know, I went down the list deliberately to name some of these people at the seminary when I was there. Right. And there are some of those names that politically we don't sit on the same bench that never conflicted in our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. There you go. Now, if you are a Republican, you must demonize the Democrat. If you're a demon, if you're a Democrat, you must in some kind of way be reprehensible to a Republican. And now, we want to theologize it. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, the community that's supposed to be a place of unity has become the greatest place of divisiveness and division. So is it any wonder that young people show up at our places and say, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. So you could just begin there. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth. Read beyond your comfort zone, engage in some conversation. And if that would have happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. You and I would be talking about Advent and what color lights we're going to hang on the tree. Consequently, <laughs> we're talking about something as crucial as right. racism in America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is such an important topic. Um, you know, we were coming off of a, a a very tenuous year, not only the pandemic and a contentious election, but one of the largest social movements to ever exist on the planet. 
after the death of Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, uh, the list goes on, unfortunately. I could name so many. But people of faith took to the streets, led by black leaders, black clergy, uh, black community leaders and politicians, went to the streets to not only decry the injustice, but to cry out for justice. It reminded me so much of the Exodus story when the Hebrews find themselves in captivity and they, the text says that they are, they're, they're hurting so much from the oppression of the empire and that of the Pharaoh that they cried out. Didn't say they even cried out to God or Yahweh. It just says simply they cried out from their pain. And, to, and this year, it seemed as though we heard the African-American community, along with the Latinx community and, and other people of color who have struggled under this oppression, but led by the black community, simply cry out of their pain. And so my last question for you, at the conclusion of this year, hopefully it does not conclude the the reformation or revolution that we're occur- that that we see occurring uh, when it comes to racial justice in this country. But what gives you hope? Mm. Is there hope? We are people of the book. We are gospel people uh, that cling to the hope. What gives you hope for a brighter future in regards to this extremely important issue of racial justice? My hope is built on nothing less (laughs) than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy name on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground sink and sand. All other ground is the sink and sand. And that that is my hope, that the Lord Jesus Christ took evil upon himself to correct all the wrong on the hill called Calvary. Mm and nailed it to the cross and got up on Sunday morning with victory saying, all power is in my hand. I I hope rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Well said. Very well said. Well, Dr. West, thank you so much for your time today. Um, You know, at Good Faith Media, we applaud your stance when it comes to racial justice. Uh, This needed to be said. It needed to be called out. Uh, But you're doing it in a way that embodies the best of Christian leaders. And we appreciate that at Good Faith Media. And not only are you calling out injustice, but you're also leading the way for a hopeful future. And we are very thankful for that. So uh, we appreciate your time today. Uh, We wish you the very merriest of Christmases. Uh, and we hope your flock is able to celebrate, whether that's virtually, uh, somehow that uh, they're able to get together and, and sing joy to the world. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you preach it over there. Uh, that's yeah. right. Uh, some, yeah, you preach. You uh, preach. Well, you know, I, let, let me just say in closing is that uh, one of the things that we're told to do, not only to be truth bearers, but to tell truth in love. Mm-hmm. And that is to tell truth in love without any conditions attached to it. And so I I love my brothers and sisters, and I pray that they come to really know uh, uh, the way of truth and life for other people. I'm not questioning that salvation, that they come to know 
the truth and the need for justice in the world for all people. That, that's my prayer. Thank you, sir. Dr. Ralph West, founder and senior pastor of the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas. Merry Christmas. And again, thank you for being on Good Faith Weekly. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening this week. And uh, Autumn and I are going to take next week off during Christmas and New Year's. But until then, keep living good faith. And here is a very Merry Christmas to all of you.